I think since the beginning of the, I think since the beginning of the Tao back in early 2000s, um, it's more or less been the, the kind of accepted um, reality that um, if the if the if the Imperium or really any of the uh, factions um, were to ever really focus on the Tao in a concerted effort, uh, that they would um, that they would. Murder all of us and 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 uh, and 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 just bulldoze our our empire. Um, back when it you know, now that we're like three seasons into this, you'll know that I I refer to it as the Commonwealth and will continue to do so. Um, I think the complicated thing about this is is that it's it's kind of a widespread uh, issue. On the on the one hand. Uh, you know, anybody getting into Tau, and, and by the way, just, I always like to uh, keep this close, um, in terms of like comforting myself as to how many Tau fans are there. Um, we are consistently the third to the fifth most popular faction, uh, in the, in the franchise of Warhammer 40,000, at least by all of the, uh, data available, um, especially once a year when we have the, uh, sales records come out. Um, the Tau, uh, you know, we we have we have kind of a dedicated fan base that uh, is unique in that very often it is uh, it's a good primer for the rest of the 40k universe. You know, we're we're not as uh, skull oriented as Chaos or uh, or the Imperium. You know, that uh, if you if you like anime, obviously, if you like mecha, if you like BattleTech, um, the Tau make for aesthetically make for a very kind of like easy faction to kind of ease into simultaneously our lore um which has been maintained uh pretty diligently by the community uh and and held to community standards um is is uh, uh is, cons- is is pretty consistent with you know with, with the obvious uh deviance of some black library authors um but but the but the fan base is is community oriented enough perhaps because we're you know all into the greater good um uh, we work together to try to educate each other on like what is what. Um, it's as a result, um, you know, we have this that we have a kind of a unique series of understandings um, that the other factions don't really have to deal with. Um, the Eldar, uh, who have been around since the eighties, uh, do have kind of a really interesting bedrock of lore. You know, obviously they birthed Slanesh. Uh, they're responsible for a lot of the machinations and manipulations of the other races, but to be perfectly frank, um, they have less lore really than than we do, and show up um, surprisingly uh, rarely. Um, obviously, so this is uh, since the uh, cancellation of the Yanari books, um, but the Path of the Eldar books are, are, are fantastic. Um, at the, you know, but, but at the same time, they, they just, their representation for uh, a faction that's been around twice the amount of time as Tau uh, is is uh, is an unfortunate thing. Necrons obviously have been recently getting books, which are, uh, I feel like they're universally embraced by the Necron community. Um, 
but also they you know they don't have as much they do appear more often as like an enemy um and i mean i guess i'm not really bringing anything new to the table when i say that the majority you know the vast majority i'd say like 90 percent of all lore is imperial oriented with chaos antagonists and then uh and then that last 10 percent is kind of divvied up between all the rest of the xenos factions or uh chaos oriented uh books so as a result um you know you look at all the things that the imperium has to throw at at anyone and yeah they're just page count wise it does make a lot of sense that they would just be uh just constantly dominant but and the source of this episode is you know as as i wander through uh reddit and uh discords and things like that um one of the one of the most consistent uh beliefs uh was recently challenged which is um which was a post um by uh, a, uh an individual named freer uh where they basically kind of mocked the imperial uh fan base by uh well i'll just read it right now um to qu- <laughs> we we have two images it's an image of an adeptus uh well it looks like an inquisitor some some kind of fan artwork uh, an inquisitor meets like a, a mechanicum tech priests if the Imperium of Man invades, you will be destroyed, never to rise again. And you have an image then of Farsight saying, if. So this is a reference, obviously, to the movie 300, which I believe is an actual reference to a historical quote from uh, the Battle of Thermopylae um, between uh, King Leonidas and an uh, equerry of uh, the Persian Empire. Um, you know, uh, the 40k fan base is always just a you know huge fan of... Uh, historical quotes and whatnot, but but it just sparked off this um, this giant conversation, uh, which I usually try to uh, I, I desperately try to avoid uh, jumping in on um, because you know an internet based conversation is usually just uh, uh, I mean it's the equivalent of going into a room and you know destroying everything with a golf club, uh, but but I did see an unusual series of reactions. And this is kind of the first time that, that um, I've seen kind of like a, a crack in the Imperial argument. And so that's the episode today. The episode is going to cover uh, basically my observations of this conversation and then of the greater dialogue that, that happens between the Warhammer 40K community uh, uh, message boards, um, and then try to try to basically uh, either contradict or reinforce different aspects of it using the available lore um, to really kind of break down would the Tau Commonwealth face extinction if the Imperium could direct its attention at them? Okay, so let's get a couple things uh, clear. Um, and and I have had several conversations with some war game and you know kind of like the the top down war game armchair general uh, opinions um, that exist. Uh, some of them are actually uh, military based, which I was uh, very very interested in speaking to. This this uh, uh, this episode will uh, reference um, some real world events, so just you know kind of pre- I guess mentally prepare yourself for that. Um, uh, I'm not going to cast any. Uh, judgments on on current events and things like that, but I am going to bring them up. So just you know, that's coming. Um, okay, so 
in order to answer this question kind of once and for all, we really need to set the stage of what exactly is going on in the uh, in, in the 40K uh, timeline. So we are 12 years after the opening of the Great Rift. Half of the Imperium, and, and let's just make the, uh, the assumption that the Imperium of Mankind is 1 million worlds. I mean, they use that number a lot. Um, uh, so, so let's just embrace it wholeheartedly. Um, probably about a third of those worlds um, are in the northern, uh, let's call it the northern hemisphere of the galaxy. If we're looking at the at the 40k galaxy, let just just imagine it's a giant disk, and you have Terra in the on the southern part. Um, you have uh, the you know you have the majority of the major imperial worlds in the southern uh, hemisphere um, collected basically in the solar segmentum, which also has the Eye of Terror in it. Uh, and uh, as well as as uh, Pacificus, um, and uh, and and at least half of uh, the Ultima Segmentum. Um, actually, you know what? I'm just going to cross um, reference myself because I'd like to throw a couple major worlds in there too. Uh, so give me just two seconds. Okay. So yeah. So you've got the Solar Segmentum in it. You have Terra and Mars. Obviously, uh, you've got the greater uh, let's just call it the greater um, regions of human colonization. So that's the Segmentum Pacificus, which has uh, Macaria in it. Uh, you also uh, you also have like worlds like Talarn, Gathelmore, Necromunda, of course. Necromunda is a massively important world um, that that uh, is the uh, kind of like one of the major producers of kind of bolt and plasma oriented weapons. Uh, you have the, a lot of the major imperial worlds, uh, like like uh, excuse me, imperial guard worlds like Katachan, but then you have chapter home worlds like uh, Nocturne, right, which is where uh, the Salamanders are from, um, and the last known location of the Rock, which is the Dark Angels. Uh, they're very uh, they're on the northern kind of part of the Segmentum Solar, just before you reach the uh, Cicatrix Maledictum. Now the Cicatrix Maledictum is uh, a galactic uh, spanning warp storm. A consistent warp storm, uh, more or less, uh, that reaches from the Eye of Terror uh, all the way to the eastern part. Actually, basically, it ends where the Tau Commonwealth is. And you can see this on a map um, in the eastern fringe. That said, um, Imperium Nihilus, which is now what the northern hemisphere is called, uh, has worlds like the uh, well, it has sector uh, the, the the Agrippina, but also the Gothic uh, the Gothic sector, which is a major uh, important uh, sector. You have Ball uh, in the uh, the Red Scar Nebula region, which has a lot of really important worlds in it. You have Carduniash, which is a night world and is the uh, basically the largest port for the Ultima Segmentum. The Ultima Segmentum is the largest segmentum in the Imperium of Mankind, and it is effectively split in half with the realm of Ultramar in the south. Um, and why is all of this important? A little geography, right? Or I guess stellography. Um, this is all really important because the state of things right now in the Imperium of Mankind is one of absolute and complete, uh, and it's a justified term, chaos. Uh, you have the Necron dynasties that are awakening. Obviously, they're doing all sorts of Things like, uh, as I've recently learned, they are enslaving human populations. 
Um, but they're also working together with uh, at least the the momentum of the anti-chaos kind of movement that a lot of uh, characters and factions are picking up on because clearly chaos is a problem. They just cut the galaxy in half and are now attacking everywhere. Um, shipping is obviously a really... Uh, really important and you have uh initiatives by rogue traders to try to kind of reunite all of these different planets together and definitely try to figure out how to get across the cicatrix maledictum of which there are only several uh kind of semi-stable bridges across um one of those is nakmund which was the the kind of the setting for the last big major uh campaign event uh a year ago um so so what does that mean? Okay. So if we've lost about a third of the Imperium to uh, a giant wall, right, uh, uh, made out of uh, hellfire, basically, what does that leave for the Southern Hemisphere? Well, okay. The Southern Hemisphere um, has just uh, been dealt a semi-crippling blow, uh, a threefold blow. One is by Abaddon. Uh, who's been more or less successful in drawing more and more uh, men and material uh, to uh, the war zones that he's fighting. And now he's just launched the second part of the the 13th Black Crusade, which is to uh, unleash a bunch of uh, kind of jerry-rigged uh, space hooks all over the galaxy. Um, and they're now on their own missions. We'll know more about that, you know, in the coming months. Um, simultaneously, you have the Plague Wars, which have just concluded, uh, that has crippled the realm of Ultramar. Uh, I believe half of those worlds uh, have are in some state of infestation from uh, Nurgle plague uh, things, like like I mean, from zombies all the way to just uh, I believe there's one uh, there's one plague that turns people into like glue and they like conjoin together and turn into like basically these mutant spawns you know it, it gets pretty creative as nurgle always does so the the 500 worlds of ultramar you know let's say 250 of those are really just out of commission the um and even though the the death guard were driven back and their and mortarian was wounded uh gilliman is currently at that location and he has uh, he split his uh, the Indominus Crusade. Excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. But the Indominus Crusade is a is another uh, galaxy spanning initiative uh, started by Gilliman, uh, where he is using anywhere between 250 and I believe like estimates go upwards of 500,000 Space Marines um, and various uh, organizations. You know, hundreds of millions of Guardsmen. Uh, hundreds of thousands of Sisters of Battle. There's an entire uh, contingent of the Adeptus Mechanicus, which is kind of following them around with the uh, Arc Mechanicum. He split that giant, you know, near Great Crusade numbers. Um, actually, you know what? It's nowhere even close to the Great Crusade. This is this would actually be like one eighteenth, maybe two eighteenths uh, in size of the of the Emperor's Great Crusade. Either way, it's an enormous. Uh, conglomeration of imperial uh uh army navy special you know kind of specialist forces uh, uh all all combined together he's divided that up into nine salients and these salients um you know could be described as crusades uh i've seen some of the numbers 
Um, you know, they're, they're, each salient is based around between, you know, and, and obviously the, these are estimates, but between like five and 12 battleships. And obviously battleships are gigantic, but, um, but nine of these salients uh, moving around the galaxy to try to uh, fix things all at once uh, means that they're not together. And one of them, uh, uh, Gilliman is leading himself and has landed in, uh, in the, the Ultimus uh, Segmentum in, 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 a, in and around the uh, Ultramarine, uh, the realm of Ultramar area, and, and has successfully pushed back uh, Mortarian. But it, it itself is a much, much smaller formation than even one of the salients due to the uh, mass casualties that uh, have been inflicted on it. Uh, okay, so then politically, let's just really quickly wrap it up with uh, the Senatorium Imperialis, the High Lords of Terra, uh, have more or less been culled uh, in response to several uh, attempts at trying to draw power away from uh, Gilliman. Uh, Gilliman's kind of outsmarted all of them. And, uh, and you have a schism forming amongst the Adeptus Mechanicus as a result of Belisarius Call's kind of newfangled uh, approach to technology versus tradition. Um, so you have people who uh, very much back call while others back uh, the, let's just call it the traditionalist Martian approach to things. Okay. So amidst all of that, it is very difficult to think that the Imperium is in a position to do anything except uh, much like, uh, I mean, if we we were to imagine uh, Gilliman as a firefighter, uh, he's trying to put out a skyscraper that's on fire, uh, more or less by himself, uh, with with a very limited uh, deck of things to um, kind of bring to the fore. And that's just chaos, right? Um, we have the uh, kind of, we have the beginnings of what sounds like the fourth war for Armageddon uh, brewing. The orcs have obviously just taken a massive hit from the Tyranids uh, uh, as a result of kind of uh, just, just the last major conflict. But but even at the end of that book, it describes the orcs kind of rallying already and orcs do. Um, so, so amidst all of this, I mean, now that you have like, that, that, that is the most, that is the clearest I can uh, picture, I can paint in regards to how the Imperium is doing. And even in this kind of demoralized, crippled state, it's obviously still the biggest player in the galaxy, um, obviously until the Tyranids show up in a bigger way. Um, you know, going things going for the Imperium, uh, well, the Cicatrix Maledictum has, uh, has actually kind of cleared the way of a lot of uh, uh, kind of things that you could call consistent threats. Uh, the Necrons are busying themselves trying to stitch, you know, literally stitch the, uh, the Cicatrix closed with Blackstone. Um, you have the return of the Leagues of Botan as a result of the Galactic Core basically being turned into uh, the largest warp storm in the galaxy. Um, you know, and the Leagues of Botan obviously aren't going to necessarily side with the Imperium, but they're definitely going to do something about the chaos orc uh, problems in their area, as well as tear, as well as tear 
so so you've kind of you you have like a not necessarily an ally but you have you have somebody that is going to help shoot the same things you're shooting the eldar are of course uh present but um you know the what the what the cicatrix uh opening did was also kind of and i'm not i'm not actually clear if it's directly correlated but the last we heard about the dark eldar is that camera had uh had had just survived a uh something called a disjunction and that's where the the kind of the pillars of the dark city are shaken um the last kind of the thing that we hear about that is that the dark uh, that uh vect um the kind of now de facto emperor of Kamora, uh, i don't know what else to call him has elevated himself to um to this rank of dark muse which is basically he he claims to be a living god very cool stuff but nothing has really happened uh from the dark eldar because i would imagine they're still recovering from the disjunction so so that's that's something that plays in the imperium's favor um you know orcs which are basically uh, have been kind of reduced in a major way obviously gaskull was successfully uh murdered and then came back to life uh the necrons are are busy with with trying to deal with chaos leagues of votan are shooting you know all of the big targets even the tyranids if you look at the incident that happened at ball but then also the 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 opening of the of the of the rift uh, the, excuse me, the Cicatrix Maledictum. Um, the Tyranid hive mind itself briefly, you know, and this is a, a direct quote, um, briefly died for several seconds. Now, we have no idea what that means, but but basically this kind of consistently, let's call it coherent uh, mental state that the hive mind was in as it, you know, encroaches upon the galaxy um, was disrupted for a couple moments. Imagine, almost think of it as like a stroke or a heart attack. Um, and the Tyranids, as a result, have really started beha behaving strangely. And I'm obviously eager to hear what that means. But you know, let's let's. Uh, there there are several hive fleets that have been remarked as uh, as almost like nesting as a result of this event, um, with gene stealer cults all over the galaxy, kind of going through. Let's call it a crisis of faith. Uh, as as effectively their god you know was silenced for the first time ever so so even though the imperium is crippled um so are most of its enemies while the things we'll call allies you know in the form of the eldar and leagues of votan um are kind of uh, a little bit you know a little bit on the ascendant okay so what does that mean for the tau well, the Tau, uh, things, quite frankly, could not be better for the Tau right now, with several minor exceptions. So let's just build the, build the base of what's happening there. The Tau have just launched their fifth sphere expansion. Uh, through the Startide Nexus and into an area of space. If you are reading along with me and you want to take a look at what part of the galaxy the fifth sphere is in, all you have to do is look at the uh, negative space map that shows the Cicatrix Malediction, uh, Maledictum and see that there is a planet called Hexos 
and Karduniash. Uh, the fifth sphere is basically between those two. And the fifth sphere is the same, roughly the same size as the third sphere, which means that it's about... Um, it's about 35% in size of what the first and second sphere uh, kind of live, if you look at the territorial footprint, um, which is a, it's a massive amount of space. Uh, 35% uh, is the same as the what the third sphere was. So basically, the Tau Commonwealth has expanded just territorial gains. That's stars, planets, things like that. They have expanded over 50% in the last 15 years. Um, now, within those recent gains, two, at least two, of those worlds are hive worlds. Um, I've said this in previous episodes before. Um, it would, it would, it probably, you know, should we get to 10th edition and get a new codex, or in another 10 years from now, I would say that if you just look at the math, the Tau, as of the third sphere expansion, have effectively become a minority in their own government, in their own, uh, in, in their own nation, um, when it comes to the number of beings that are adhering to the greater good. And this was always going to happen, um, based on based on the ideology of the greater good. Um, the whole point is to bring more and more people under the same umbrella. But if you look at the population of, uh, let's see. Medusa 5 was a technically a mining planet, but it had several hives on it and hundreds, uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of humans uh, returned with the Tau as, they, uh, as that world was destroyed. Uh, then you have Mugalaf Bay, which was formerly known as Agrelin, uh, which was, um, you know, one of the largest and most, I mean, devastating uh, battles fought um, by the Tau, between the Tau and the, and the Imperium, um, with billions of people dying. But it doesn't matter because even if you take into consideration the fact that only one Hive, Hive Primus, uh, survived the Adeptus Mechanicus uh, conflagration that almost destroyed that planet, uh, you would still have billions of humans uh, that, are, that were effectively saved um, under the shields of the, uh, of the Tau. Lastly, um, you have Chalnath. Um, and in Chalnath, most recently, um, Shadow Sun, instead of deploying major forces, just deployed uh, Pathfinder teams, as you can see um, in the expansion, um, who, who basically uh, shepherded in uh, water cast envoys. These water cast envoys um, would basically turn an entire hive planet, which was more, I mean, remember the Eastern fringe is a difficult place. It's very far away from all of these places like Necromunda, you know, and um, Schindelgast and, 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 and Badab and, and all of these things. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a hard place. And, and hive planets need food. Uh, you know, they rely on an entire ecosystem of planets to feed them. And so when no help was coming during the last 12 years, uh, it seems like the, you know, the government of that planet basically turned to the Tau and welcomed them uh, over, over the ability to just bring them food and, and ostensibly water. So, so that, that would be an entire hive planet taken with basically without a shot being fired. 
I've 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 read the booklet that comes with it. The Sisters of pa- Battle do deploy, um, and they do purge the leadership as well as um, major offenders of the uh, you know of of the Imperial Lex. Um, but you know, many many billions of people uh, would eventually then rejoin the Tau because the planet was subsumed uh, within the borders of the fifth sphere. So, so again, with the number of people that have joined the Tau, with the resources now available, the the let's let's just just isolate the war machine of the Tau is is running on overdrive. You know, um, they're accomplishing. I mean, the third sphere was was basically cemented with only spending about I think a third of their military forces, um, while while the rest of the victories in that region were all done diplomatically. Um, the same can't really be said for the for the fifth sphere. Now, the fifth sphere is also the fourth sphere. They're synonymous with each other. Um, but so the fourth, I guess, just as a, re- a really quick recap, the fourth sphere would have gone through a really difficult time because the Tau involved started murdering their uh, auxiliary uh, auxiliary species and their and their allies. Uh, there are no dates for this, but I would assume that that would have been like between like three and six years after the Cicatrix Maledictum, which, which by the way, opens at around the same time as the fourth sphere launches. The fifth sphere, once they come in, uh, absorb all of the victories, uh, planets, and and even cadres of the fourth sphere. And of, of course, once they find out that they're committing war crimes, uh, the leadership elements of the fourth sphere are are, are basically censored. Uh, committed to Makla and uh, are removed from being able to interact with um, auxiliary and allied formations. Excuse me. I will just say, um, I and I'm not going to edit this out, I've been up since 5 a.m. my time, and so I apologize that every now and again I have to yawn, but doing my best. <laughs> okay, so we've set this, we, we basically set the, the, the table, right? Um, now, with the Imperium being in the state that it's in, let's 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 go big, right? The Primarch Gilliman, you know, uh, recovering from Mortarian's mortal wounds because he was killed um, and then came back to life. Uh, Gilliman Gilliman looks at the map just like I'm doing right now, looks north of him. And asks, you know, what the heck is what what the heck is this Tau Empire, right? Like, what what are these Tau aliens? And Calgar, now keep in mind, Calgar, uh, for the last two hundred years, has been fortifying the borders of the realm of Ultramar, specifically in in response to the Tau advances. Um, so Calgar, I would imagine Calgar being who he is. Calgar's actually. Uh, short of a, a comic book that came out called Calgar is one of my favorite characters. Um, I really, I, I, I think he's kind of like a, a fascinating, like hot pot of different uh, like narrative opportunities. I, I, I am of the mind that more drama is better. And I, I definitely thought that Calgar after it, it was said that Calgar got upset that Gilliman left him behind 
Um, I definitely thought that we had like a Luther moment where Calgar could start being upset with Gilliman. But let's say that obviously that didn't happen because um, everything's always goes pretty positively for Gilliman. Um, so he's, you know, he's in convalescence and Calgar goes, well, you know, and he starts explaining what the Tau are. Now, one of the counter arguments to this is that like the Imperium has faced, you know, Cthulian level uh, bad guys and won. Um, and I don't want to take that away from the Imperium. Um, the Imperium of Mankind has existed for 10,000 years plus and, um, you know, is it is what it is. And it does what it has to do. And, you know, it's weathered uh, the greatest uh, threat that the the orcs could ever, you know, muster up twice. You know, both uh, when the Emperor was leading the Great Crusade and then later with the, the War of the Beast. Um, it's fended off two major incursions from the Tyranids and, and, and the list goes on and on and on. Okay, we get it. The Imperium can punch above its weight. Um, it's, the, it's the heavy prize fighter. Uh, it's Rocky. Um, but what Calgar, I imagine, is going to explain to Gilliman is, is that the Tau are like, <laughs> if you want to compare like a gazelle to like a lion, right, with the Imperium being a lion, there's no way that a gazelle is ever going to beat a lion. It's only going to be able to run away, right? It, it's outclassed. It's outsized. It, 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 gazelle don't work together. Um, but in this example, the gazelle are working together. What if, you know, a lion was on the savannah and all of a sudden, you know, instead of running away and splitting up and, you know, whoever's the slowest is, it ends up being the food. What if all of the gazelle turned kind of in the same direction and, uh, presented a united front? Um, it, it, that's effectively what the Tao are. For the last 200, well, that's not true. For the past thousand years, the Tao have been successfully uniting disparate uh, individuals as well as entire species into a cohesive operational force. Now, this might, you know, the original size for the Tao Empire was 300 light years across. So now it's roughly like like 450, maybe closer to 500 light years across. Um, that's still, you know, minuscule. And people like to bring this up a lot. Like, just just look at the map. The Tau Empire, it's, it's right there. It's the little, uh, it's like a hole punch of just black right next to the Sawtech dynasty. Um, but we have to remember that that geographical size is is relevant to only the people that are living in that geography and the resources they can bring to bear. Um, you know, who, who would have thought that, uh, you know, in, in current events that, that the, 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 I think it is the largest nation in the world, Russia was going to trip, so trip and fall so heavily, uh, on, on, on Ukraine. Right. Um, that is, that is almost, I mean, looking at this map and looking at real world events, that is almost a direct comparison. I mean, you can go even further back. Uh, what about Vietnam? Uh, Vietnam is smaller than the state of California, and yet it tripped up the entire combined weight of the United States' military-industrial complex uh, for decades. Um, it's geographic or stellographic considerations do should not mean as much as people 
uh, seem to place on it all the time. Uh, I'll even put it into 40K terms if you've ever seen the... Uh, very, it's very much a fan picture, but um, it depicts the galaxy and then a giant, huge uh, maw that is the Tyranid Hive fleets that are coming in. Now, that's not official, but for many in the community, it has become kind of like soft cannon, that that's, that's the thing that's coming to eat the galaxy, this giant, you know, all-consuming monster. Um, and yet every, every step of the way, the Tyranids are not prepared uh, to swallow uh, the galaxy because it keeps on pushing back with the Cicatrix Maledictum or the Necrons or, you know, take your pick. Um, Belisarius Call thinks that he has basically solved uh, the Tyranid problem and that they're not actually that big of a thing, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, size doesn't matter as much as people always seem to think. And going into this going into this scenario, um, we really have to remember um, that once Gilliman starts learning about the Tau um, and, you know, and, and starts trying to kind of defy, devise a, a solution, um, he's also going to eventually come to the Tau's greatest weapon. Um, and that is a combination of true faith I say this a lot in this podcast. Um, the Tao do have, and obviously the word faith is, is, is going to muddy the waters a little, but every individual Tao thoroughly d does not, okay, I'll speak, <laughs> I'll speak from my, my, my own position. In my experience, human beings often question what their role or what their goal or, what they, or who they are in the grand scheme of things. Uh, one of the reasons why humanity uh, struggles in 40K is that in, the, in seeking out the desire to be, like, cool with yourself is you invent religion. And religion gives you that gratification uh, that you now know your place in the universe. Um, that is what the emperor specifically wanted to divorce our species uh, from because it, it just feeds into the warp. The Tao do not experience that doubt. Uh, they know their place in a way that makes people think that they're mind-controlled by pheromones uh, or that they are fanatics and being duped by the ethereals. And, the, and, I, and again, I say this all the time. If, if that's what Games Workshop wants to do, totally fine. You know, there's nothing... No, the podcast isn't going to change anybody's minds. But it's so interesting because several authors, you know, from Fehabari uh to to chamber you know like all of these kind of black library authors have really touched on this on the, one of the most hor horrific aspects of the tau when you look at it from a human perspective uh and the role playing game actually also uh addressed this is that tau do not doubt who and what they are they are completely at peace with their role in the universe now that doesn't make them you know suicidal uh you know kamikaze style uh, uh, caricatures, um, but instead it means that like a Tau uh, strike team that is alone on an alien planet, hundreds of light years away from home, they don't worry about being alone. Now they'll be concerned logistically, of course. They'll be concerned about what what is it what is it that they're supposed to do next. But they don't completely fall apart when Central Command goes down. 
Instead, they start doing what Tao do, which is building coalitions and figuring out how to perpetuate the concept and philosophy of the greater good. That's why you have Tao in Nakmund. That's why you have Tao in the core and at Ball. All of them are are obviously trying to colonize and you know and 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 get like you know dug in into a planet or a colony or something like that. But they're also trying to reach out to other alien species and being like, hey, why don't we work together? And Gilliman is going to look at that and immediately say that if the Imperium wants to continue existing as a co as a cogent and cohesive uh, entity in the galaxy, they need to root that out and burn it with fire. Because the longer that you let Tau hang out, it's almost, it seems to be, in all the examples that we have, it seems to be that they will just continue convert. I don't, again, we, we come back to these religious terms, faith, conversion, things like that. But that's what they're doing. But they're converting people in a way that human beings have never been able to do which is they just give you purpose. You know, there's no, <laughs> and there'll be another episode one day about the God of the greater good, but there is no God of the greater good from the Tao perspective because it is a philosophy. It's a philosophy, and, and you can Google it right now, you know, Tao, greater good, what is it? The definition is an all-encompassing philosophy that, that effectively just wants to have everybody rise to their fullest potential and work together. You know, that means that races like the orcs will obviously never be compatible, or the Tyranids for that matter, uh, or space marines, um, because those three examples uh, do not work together. They destroy individuality uh, one way or another, and the Tau seek that. Uh, they don't seek to, uh, like, a lot of people always think that the caste system is something that, you know, you get pulled into and, and you know, human beings would get assigned different castes that that has never happened in lore uh and 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 the reason i bring that up specifically is that um all they're doing is offering opportunities for you to basically uh be your be, be your better self um you know maybe don't eat corpse starch here's some food you know uh, maybe you don't need to you know drink the distilled uh bodily fluids of your deceased maybe you could just have some potable water, you know, simple things like that. And that is why all of these worlds are turning. It's not a grand manipulation. I mean, it is a manipulation. Let's, let's be honest. It's, manipula it's manipulation uh, of, uh, you know, if humanity is made up of hundreds of millions of people uh, dying of thirst in the desert, and the person that rolls up with water uh, says, hey, you know, come work for me, I'll give you water. Sure, that's a manipulation, you know. Um, but it seems like the the end goal for the Tau, and all again, all the examples that we have, uh, obviously with the exceptions of the Fourth Sphere expansion, uh, the Velcan Sept, and Farsight, um, seem to just be, okay, great, now that you're like working with us together, why don't you help us spread our ideology to more people so more people can eat food and drink water? Um, you know, like that's the, that, that's the big, uh, that's the grand deceit um, of just changing more people's minds. Gilliman's going to see that and say, that right there is the extinction of our people, uh, or at least of the Imperium. 
because you can't stop. He knows that the Imperium is so mismanaged, is so all over the place, is 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 as every Black Library book you know opens with the most uh, oppressive regime imaginable. Amidst all of this horror, one person holding a candle is going to draw everybody to them. And they will just, and as we've now seen in the last 250 years, they are doubling in size every two centuries. That's, that's insane. You know, if you look at it from a galactic level, you know, like uh, no species, even the Tyranids are making those kinds of gains. So what do I think happens next? Well, if Gilliman's smart, He's going to deploy. He's not going to 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 deploy space marines. Um, I, re- I I I do believe this in in the lore. Space marines are really good at fighting monsters and each other. They're not good at fighting regular people. Um, now, okay. So what does that mean? Uh, if you look at some examples of like the Sabat War, right, where uh, that's the Gaunt's Ghost series, or if you look at the Taros campaign, um, or or if you look at any of the Tau lore, uh you really find out quick that like space marines have like actually a negative impact on conflicts that require you to win hearts and minds. Now, obviously a space marine walks by, yes, exaltation. That's an angel. Oh my God. Right. But a space marine is not going to treat that exaltation with any kind of respect. In fact, he might be disgusted by it. Um, they're going to be killing people kind of indiscriminately uh, that are threats. They're not going to do a very good job, uh, when it comes to the chapters at least, uh, they're not going to do a very good job of convincing people that they're not, you know, uh, towering war machines that grind everybody to a a fine paste. Uh, They are, you know, war blenders, you know, and and by blender I mean, you know, like they turn the opposition into a a smoothie. I'm going to get away from that analogy now because I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. But that is that is what a space marine is and in all of these conflicts where you need to get people to get on board hearts and minds they don't do very well at that um you know um and then and then of course even amongst their allies there's this weird like it's not uncanny valley but it's almost like i forget what it's called like a superhuman uh, there's like a there's like a psychological effect that they basically incur in other people um where there's almost like a like a, a combination of like depression depression and desperation that hits you uh and just straight up fear because they're the, you know they're, they're human but they're human plus uh post-human something i forget the name anyway um so if gilliman's smart he will not use space marines to attack the town if Gilliman is smart, and I believe that he is, and I believe that he would take the advice of Calgar, who is also very smart, he would use a combination of uh, basically the ecclesiarchy. Um, and, and, and by the ecclesiarchy, I mean the Sisters of Battle and Death Watch, and specifically leave out the Imperial Guard. Because as we've seen with the last two Crusades and Chalnaf, the Imperial Guard, which is made up of regular people like you and me, um, in a prolonged campaign against the Tau, begin to just erode like sand before the current. You know, like they'll first do it ones and twos, and then they'll do it en masse. There are inquisitors, rogue traders, 
and entire guard regiments that have turned over to the Tau. Um, which, you know, doesn't happen very much, especially, you know, like when you think about chaos, like, well, you know, chaos started the Horus heresy and stuff like that. But the fact is, is that if you look at chaos, like in terms of just like a poster, it's going to be really hard to get on board with like, yes, you know, you'll have freedom and you'll, you know, you, you'll be away from the oppression of the Imperium and you have a crab pincer claw growing out of your mouth. Come join us. You know, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult, uh, ticket to sell. Again, when you're going up against uh, basically a water cast envoy that kind of looks human, sure he's blue, doesn't have a nose, but he's not he's not insanely alien. Um, is basically saying, you know, hey, why why don't why don't I trade you, uh, you know, some of your uh, some of your natural resources and and you can have drones, you know, and uh, a regular human being isn't going to really understand that this drone is. I mean, they'll probably think the drone is another alien. Uh, or, you know, before they think that it's some kind of AI, you know, you know, despite the fact that we know that human beings are terrified of AI in 40k. Um, but why the ecclesiarchy? Well, the ecclesiarchy is really one of the biggest weapons that the, that, that, that the galaxy has against specifically uh, the kind of uh, the alien, you know, uh, and, and specifically an alien like the Tau. You're the 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 philosophy of the greater good is going to go right up against the the ferociousness of of faith in the emperor and and specifically the 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 elevation of humanity as the dominant species in the galaxy the sisters of battle look down on space marines uh for not being fully human um they uh you know and I think there's even been wars of faith between Sisters of Battle and Space Marines once they find out, you know, the Space Marines don't really worship the Emperor, you know, um, that they regard him as a man, not as a god. Um, Sisters of Battle are really cool in this aspect. Um, also, Sisters of Battle are not, are not actually very good. Yes, they're good against chaos because, you know, they basically have faith magic. Um, but they're not actually that good uh, if, you, if you're having, like, internal problems because... They're basically, if you've if you've ever played Necromunda, they're basically like the 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 redemptionists, in that like they're just really they really like burnt setting people on fire, and that again that 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 comes down to the whole hearts and minds thing. Now that's an internal example. Externally though, uh, when the Sisters of Battle show up to fight Tau, they're and we saw this at Chalnath, their acts of faith and their their belief in the empire. And the emperor is a great counter argument to the Tao, let's call it the Tao pragmatism. Um, because human beings, especially in Warhammer 40k, human beings really do believe, um, let's just use the term in God, right? Um, and that is that is a very important aspect of the human psyche that the Tao don't really understand. So if I give you food and I give you water, you should be my friend. Um we know that the Tao don't even have notions of sarcasm. Like once I've convinced you that we should do this, you should, you should just be on board with it. Um, but at Chalnath, we saw that even though these human beings, their, their, their bellies were filled and they were, and, and, and their, and their way of life was being improved upon when the sisters of battle showed up and fought against, you know, uh, demons and, 
and and all of all of the hallmarks of human religion unleashed upon the real world uh you saw humans turning away from tao philosophy because tao philosophy doesn't have an exam it doesn't have an explanation of what happens after we die if anything it it kind of believes that there's who cares what happens after you die as long as you've done your best to improve the world of the living you know i don't i don't think that the tao have an afterlife there's never been a mention that i can think of um and that's because they don't really have religion their their philosophy is a philosophy of the living faith in the emperor is is a religion of martyrdom and death um, it doesn't matter how you lived so long as you die for the emperor. And in dying for the emperor, you are guaranteed some kind of weird afterlife where uh, I've seen various descriptions of it. It sounds like you get to just be in the presence of the emperor's light. It sounds really boring, but I guess after living a life in 40K uh, where the alternative is having your soul eaten for an eternity by demons that actually is not such a bad you know maybe that's yeah like sitting around a guy in a chair i'm all for it um but that's what the ecclesiarchy promises it feeds the soul and to a human being the fate of your immortal soul is always going to be more important than if you're fed and if your life is getting better so the ecclesiarchy is the perfect weapon and tool that you throw at the tau especially in areas that are contested and even better if it's areas that are contested and are you know having some kind of demonic incursion because that's your that's your propaganda right there um you know people will eat their own feet uh if it means they don't get uh, uh absorbed by a demon you know the other tool that Gilliman would use, in my opinion, is then uh, the Death Watch and Inquisitorial Stormtroopers. If you look at the timeline, and and you know, again, you're going to take this podcast and you're going to you know you're going to go uh, with it to other places and 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 other uh, you know other venues and stuff like that. You will after you start bringing up uh, that the Tau could resist against an Imperial uh, extermination crusade. Uh, you're going to hear the very next thing, which is, well, that's because plot armor. The, the Tau the Tau can't suffer any losses because plot armor. Because if they lost even once, then everything would fall apart. Um, so that's also not true. The Tau have had massive defeats, it, like enormous defeats. Uh, and all you have to do is look at our map and you see the Zone of Silence. The Zone of Silence was once... Uh, one of the most prosperous regions of the Commonwealth, and it is now completely gone. It's been, it was uh, uh, reduced to uh, airless rocks by High Fleet Gorgon. That was that's a, that's a major loss on behalf of the galaxy. Uh, the second is the War of Dhaka, or the, or excuse me, the War of Confederation. It depends on what you want to call it. Uh, an unbroken period of about two centuries where uh, Orc Wa. Uh, and I always have difficulty pronouncing that, um, but Orc Wa uh, uh, events happened all over the western and northern part of the uh, first and second spheres. Um, that took an enormous amount of uh, material and lives, uh, and 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 eventually the awakening of Shadow Sun, um, who uh, who who had to come in and save the day. Um, so. 
so those two, and, and then of course there's the Iron Hammer campaign that happens at the end of High Fleet Quarter. We could do an entire episode on Tau defeats, and if there's enough interest in it, I will. But, but what's important to note when it comes to this notion of plot armor is that the Tau are just really versatile in dealing with problems. Space Marines do not make Tau afraid. They don't even view them as sentient life anymore. They view them more like robots, Gueronsha, you know, that's a, that's, that's a, a manufactured being. Um, you know, maybe Shadow Sun has a different opinion, maybe Farsight has a different opinion, but by and large, Tau aren't that bothered when the Space Marines show up. And that is really weird. Um, and it's something that I think that Imperial players and the Imperial perspective that, that you know, from an official source really has a difficulty like wrapping their minds around. Space Marines are the most terrifying formation in the history of the 40k franchise. And yet the Tau consistently throughout all of the examples that were given do not really seem that bothered whenever they show up. In fact, they just change tactics and really they mirror Space Marine tactics. They don't fight line by line. They don't fight uh, in massive formations. They use uh, extreme amounts of intelligence to then apply a maximum amount of force to one area and then they withdraw. They do not take and hold like human beings always want us to. Uh, they, they're, they're excellent uh, maneuver, uh, at maneuvering into the right areas and, and have entire philosophies dedicated to that way of war. So, so, so what does that mean? So that means that you can't fight them with Space Marines. And in fact, the more Space Marines that you throw at them, the worse your casualties are going to be. Because the Tau have an entire panoply of weaponry that actually specifically neuters Space Marines. Railgun technology liquefies bodies. Um, it, it just, it, it, you know, one, one hole in, one hole out, and then everybody turns into a human milkshake and goes out the, out the back way. Uh, and then, of course, you have Vespid technology, with it, which specifically irradiates bodies. And uh, an apothecary notices this during the Battle of the uh, of Dalith, that he is not able to recover gene seed from space marines that have died from Vespids. Um, railgun technology is not unique. It is it can be it can be seen in Pathfinder uh, formations, uh, and then is mounted on you know. Uh, several battlesuit types, and then and then obviously vehicles. So it is not it, it's not something that is rare. Um, neither are Vespid. In the lore, Vespid are are are, are the second most populous uh, ally that the Tau use. So you're going to be dealing with those two things. If you throw a formation of and, and I've looked at the numbers. Let's say uh, let's say Gilliman is able to rally the realm of Ultramar. You know that that. Small numbers basically indicate anywhere between fifty and seventy-five thousand Space Marines. Um, that is that that's truly you know a, a large Space Marine force, um, well over chapter strength. Um, but think about the casualties that are going to be incurred along the way, and that's just before you get through the third sphere. The third sphere, which is uh, heavily uh, you know ha has been has been heavily fortified in the past decade. Um, is still just a buffer zone, you know? Um, you're gonna still have to cross the Damocles Gulf, which takes between, I think, like three and five months, uh, even with warp travel to get across. That's crazy difficult in terms of trying to maintain 
uh, paths uh, or, or excuse me, supply uh, chains uh, to then arrive in, you know, fortress uh, Tau first and second sphere, sphere it, it's just you're you're going to get mauled. Um, and and for the space space marines can't just replenish their numbers, or at least I'm not aware if they can. Um, maybe Call has something up his sleeve as he always does. But generally speaking, once you run out of space marines, you need between like uh, I think it's between two and five years to uh, recover a casualty. You know, a true casualty. You know, a, 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 a KIA. Um, so so use the Death Watch. Death Watch operate in small even more versatile than the Tau can could ever accomplish just because, uh, you know, space marines don't really need uh, resources. They don't really need to eat in the conventional sense, and they can kind of live off, uh, live off the land, if you will. Um, but small insertions of Death Watch uh, and just have them attack the infrastructure. The Tau really uh, emphasize their importance uh, of security for civilians. Um, uh, again, you know, that that concept of hearts and minds really plays against the Tau once you start terrorizing their population because they will stop everything that they're doing to try to protect their human population, which will eventually draw them away from war zones where you would have the Sisters of Battle uh, be able to then operate much more uh, freely and 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 to retake all of the kind of lost ground. Um I don't think Gilliman, for example, would then also use Titans because Titans are kind of ridiculous unless you're fighting against other Titans or stationary targets. Um, because the tower's so mobile, Titans are just... Unless unless they can pin you down and get you to fight them one-on-one, uh, they're not... Uh, they're not very effective against the Tau, and they're and they're really effective against other Titans. But Tau, as we've said before, don't 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 really have them. They you know have Knight equivalents. They don't really have Titan equivalents, um, except for the Tau Nar, obviously. But the Tau Nar might not canonically you know is is considered kind of the a a, a madman's super weapon that a guy came up with uh, when High Fleet Gorgon was attacking his homeworld. So so. So you're using so Gilliman would be using ecclesi the ecclesiarchy. Um, I don't believe that it would be in his best interest to go himself. Um, again, a primarch doesn't mean anything to the Tau. They don't. They just have no concept of it. And quite frankly, um, even if Gilliman could show up for every battle with the Emperor's sword, uh, he's just improving the morale of the ecclesiarchy, which doesn't. The Ecclesiarchy fights already with unbelievably high uh, morale. They will fight to the death more readily than any other formation, except maybe like Custodes. Um, so he's improving morale where it doesn't need to be, and Death Watch, uh, by their very nature, probably shouldn't be uh, fighting around Primarchs. They should be uh, do, using pinpoint strategies um, in and out very quickly, very much like special forces in the real world. Um, so... I would say that he would most likely send Kalgar. Um, Kalgar, who has experience fighting the Tau and knows how uh, vicious that they can be. And if you are going to use a formation of non, you know, let's call it non-specialized humans, I think that this would be a perfect uh, opportunity for the Ultima Auxilia, which are human beings that have grown up in the realm of Ultramar and, are, and would be harder to convert to another philosophy. Not impossible, but harder to convert to a new philosophy when they think that they have it the best. 
uh, in the Vaults of Terra book, we really get to see firsthand that the the uh, Ultramarians, <laughs> um, uh, the human beings from the uh, from the realm of Ultramar, uh, really think of themselves in like a uh, culturally elevated um, position uh, over over even humans from Terra. So put those guys, put those guys to work, and they might even have a better effect on converting uh, populations uh, that have gone over to the Tau side more so than the Ecclesiarchy. Finally, you send the Adeptus Mechanicus. And again, if Gilliman is smart, you show the Adeptus Mechanicus that the Tau are using AI. And in the same way that we've now read about the Leagues of Votan, in which uh, they are frightened of the notion of AI running around and they want to get their hands on one of these Votan, um, the Adeptus Mechanicus will, they are going to be your, your body blow. They're going to be your haymaker because they're going to come in and they're just going to reduce imp- entire Tau worlds uh, to ash with with exterminatus equivalent weaponry, because they're so. I mean, if we think that the the sororitas are fanatics, nothing is compared to the majority of the adeptus mechanicus, who is t- absolutely still terrified of artificial intelligence. And those are your three major formations, led by Calgar and obviously most most likely a minority of uh, Ultima Auxilia. And that is how you would you would go to war against the Tau. And I know we're 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 getting close to an hour, um, so maybe this deserves a second half. But in doing my research, I think that I think that the Tau defending against a force like this is absolutely fascinating because it would then force the Tau to adopt a couple different types of tactics that they've will they've they've been very willful in refusing and uh, that in a nutshell that would be uh acceptable law in, in terms of like acceptable uh civilian and uh, auxiliary losses it might even include uh the entire extinction of certain allied species uh, out of necessity and that might actually you know lead to a kind of a cascading effect but it also means that Shadow Sun is not going to be present during this. And I think that the Council of Chasseau that have remained behind would have a very interesting way of countering this specific type of attack, which I'll get into, I guess, at another time. Um, cool. So that said, um, a whole bunch being thrown at you. Uh, is there anything that... Uh, the folks present would like to bring up. Uh, I will also take a moment to just look at the Tau Talks write-ups. Let's see. Smoothies and milkshakes. Oh, that's about it. Okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, Vrax, I'll, uh, I'll invite you up. Obviously, as the Crute man, I have to bring up Crute. Uh, but on the subject of acceptable extinctions, for instance, uh, 
what worlds do you think would require to be sacrificed first? For instance, crew worlds that are in the Tau space. Right. That's a great question. Um, Redrix, are, are, you, uh, are you able to record Vresk right now? Yeah. Perfect. So, um, to Vresk, you're being recorded, just so you know. Um, so the crew, the, the crew end up, uh, would, would not end up being one of these. Uh, that's for three reasons. One, strictly just geography. Um, if you look at, again, if you look at the map, uh, an attack from the Imperium would have to happen from the south. Um, as a result of where the Cicatrix Maledictum kind of, it pockets uh, the Tau Commonwealth. Um, and the third sphere is abutting the the kind of the outer areas of the realm of Ultramar, or at least the footprint of the cultural aspects of the realm of Ultramar. So an attack would have to come from there and go up into the third sphere. Um, uh, unless Gilliman wanted to brave, or, or let's say Kalgar at this point, if Kalgar wanted to brave the depths and go across the Solai Rift, which is in the southern region, it's the there's the Pertus Rift, which is where the Krut are, and then there's the Solai Rift, which is in the south, and then to the west of that is the Damocles Gulf. The Solai Rift um, would whittle down ships and crew and everything, especially right now, because there'd be more, uh, you know, let's call it demonic activity. Um, but let's say let's either way he's going to have to come up from the south and so the crew wouldn't be sacrificed because the crew are the furthest you can get from the southern parts of the commonwealth mm-hmm. that's that yeah that said though um most likely if you're looking at it from the third sphere's perspective i would say that one of the one of the early sacrificial lambs for the tau would likely have to be uh, the Nikasar. Mm-hmm. So we don't know the numbers, obviously, and the Nikasar are actually kind of kind of like all over the place in the Eastern Empire, in the Eastern uh, Galaxy. Uh, but the the Nikasar uh, were one of the largest uh, populations, or, or excuse me, the largest contingents of the Third Sphere. Um, that's partly because the the Tau wanted to explore the region, which they used the Nikasar as natural explorers. Um, but also because the Nikasar um, uh, per, uh, allowed uh, a lot of the Tau to basically be guided through these uh, these warp areas, because the Nikasar have knowledge of uh, knowledge of the warp. Um, I would think, and again, you know, I'm not sure about the numbers, but I do know that the Nikasar have uh, are one of the oldest allies of the Tau. Um, they are also one of the allies that the Tau try to keep away from humanity. Or at least they did, you know, a couple hundred years ago, because of their uh, their ability, their their empathic abilities, which have actually made them um, a a apex target for Death Watch. Um, just mm-hmm. just to give an example, uh, a Nikasar is able to uh, create memories of your mother, even though Space Marines are conditioned to no longer remember their families. Faces um, a Nikasar was able to disrupt a Death Watch Marine's ability to function because he he had the emotional reaction of remembering his mother's face. Um, huh. It's a it's a really incredible yeah like it's, it's it's in the Death Watch compendium. Um, it's a it's, I, well, I gee, the, sorry. My question was mostly predicated on the idea that Crute having access to war spheres and therefore warp travel would be kind of an issue for humanity as they could attack basically anywhere at any time. 
True. And so they could possibly attempt to cripple the crew forces and seclude the Tau. I would think that a bigger a bigger opportunity for the uh, for the Imperium to try to disrupt the Tau is to try to cause uh, try to cause some kind of civil war amongst the Allies. Um, mm-hmm. So to remember, uh, I always I always operate from a position of the Tau do have warp travel. They just have that skim technology, which we did originally, not the STL that's been described lately, or at least not exclusively. You know, I mean, there's also the tunnel technology oh. that they would have. Yes, um, I know, but uh, I was referring to the fact that Kroot can navigate the warp inherently with their sixth sense, so they're more effective at it. Right, right, right. I also bring up the fact that the Kroot, um have something similar to the Orc way of navigating the warp, which is uh, Kroot are uh, really adept at finding uh, worlds that are uh, rich in life. Um, so yeah. they they wouldn't be able to show up anywhere, but they would be able to show up to you know let's let's say major imperial worlds pretty probably pretty easily. I would I would say that if the Imperium were to attack, the best thing for them to do would be to try to figure out how to get the crew to either start fighting each other. Which would probably be much harder, but not impossible, uh, than picking another alien race that the crew don't like. And I would choose the Vespid. Yeah, because they have a strong disconnect with the Vespid. Yeah, they and, could also yeah. employ uh, crew mercenaries to anger the Tau and cause retaliation. That's true, but I mean, remember that one of the one of the first rules that Encore Proc put into that codified at the Oath Stone is that Kroot uh, mercenaries would basically stay away from from fighting yeah. against the Tau. Um, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but a lot yeah, of those. But if you could are... convince them, yeah, if you could, if you could, if you could convince uh, a group of Kroot to fight with you, um, the only thing that you'd run into uh, would then be you might lose the the let's call it like the diplomatic points of the ecclesi like if the ecclesiarchy found out that Calgar or some aspect of the imperial high command is willingly uh paying alien mercenaries you you might you, you might end up getting a a, a, a you know quote unquote civil war on on your own hands you know that's fair just but that's what the, the yeah yeah exactly but that's what the inquisition is for yeah hmm it's certainly an interesting subject. The crew are a very useful ally for the Tau, and turning them against the Tau or removing them from play would be a very big victory. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I had. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um, cool. Any? Uh, I, I I think that this subject is uh, really interesting, and I think that I think that it deserves a, a part two. Um, but any other any other questions? Any other thoughts? Awesome. All right. Cool. Well, Redrix, thank you so much. Redrix, it is a pleasure to see you or, or hear you. Um, maybe, maybe you want to take over for part two. No, I we'll have to see. I don't know if I'm doing and are we doing anything nice? Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see on that one. <laughs> okay. Well, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, Thank you so much, uh, and uh, yeah, see you guys around uh, the Discord.